Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John. It begins chapter 13, verse 31, and continues through verse 35. I invite you to open your hearts and your minds and your spirits to hear how God is coming alive in you this day. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Because we are a church who offers up our confessions week after week in worship, allow me to lift up a confession to all of you. I have become a bit of a Marvel addict. I mean, full-blown nerd alert. Over these last several weeks, if you couldn't find me here at church, you could find me lost in one of the worlds of superheroes. At the expense of my share of laundry, dishes, and a clean house, and much to the chagrin of my spouse, I have become invested in the worlds of Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and Black Panther. Now, over time, I have seen bits and pieces of these movies, but never in any particular order, and never in a way where I really understood how it was that they connected together. But wanting to know what all the hype was about, with the recent release of the newest Avengers movie, I decided I would give it a try. So I started with the beginning with Captain America and have been working my way through the series in order according to the Marvel Universe. And sure enough, I have been completely engrossed. Now I was a little surprised by this because science fiction is not usually my number one interest area, nor is sort of outer space fictional war settings. But when I started from the beginning, and started getting to know each of the characters, I found that I was drawn in to their stories. Each of them are one of the least of these. They have had all the reason in the world to give up on themselves or for the world to give up on them. And yet, as the plot lines progress, we can see how each of them has a story, a unique gift, and when their different stories come together, they come together for good. And in these Avenger movies, they realize that they need each other in order to save and change the world. Stories change the world. And not just in the Marvel Universe, but in our world. 
Perhaps we have not been given superhero strength or speed. We might not be able to travel to alternate universes or lift a car with our fingers, but so too our stories have power. They have strength. So too we have been given unique gifts. And when our stories and our gifts come together, we have the power and the strength to change and save the world. Which is precisely what is at the heart of the first text we read together this morning from Acts. It is a passage that highlights the power of a story. Peter's testimony is not one that comes from higher education or access to wealth or privilege. It comes not from his higher social status or prestige. It comes from a personal experience that he has with the Holy Spirit in this vision that he receives. A vision that leads him to the least of these in their religious community. Now we know that this story is an important one because it is told three times throughout the Gospel of Acts. This is the second time it's been told. It was just mentioned in chapter 10, and now in chapter 11, it repeats almost word for word. So it should catch something in our minds to say, I just heard this. This is important to listen to. There's something we ought to hear. So in this story, we learn that the early faith community is against eating with those who have not been circumcised. Or in other words, those who are not Jewish. Now we have to remember that at this point, early Christians are Jews. And at this stage in their faith journey, they are not considering giving up their religion. They do not see this as a new faith that is developing. And therefore, it hasn't occurred to them to go against the rules and rituals that have become so fundamental to their faith. These laws, laws such as not sharing a meal with those who have been uncircumcised, is a part of the foundation of how they have come to understand of what it means to be a people of faith in the world. And so when people start hearing that Peter has this vision that essentially takes those lines in those sand, the, the images that they have of what it means to be a faith community, they start to feel a little uncomfortable. Because Peter is coming with this radical message that says there is no separation in who God calls to be a disciple. The text says there is no distinction in who Christ calls to follow. It's not their church. It is God's church. And God is breaking through these lines in the sand to show that God shows no preference, no special treatment in who God calls as a disciple to serve. So because people are starting to get really uncomfortable with this, Peter comes before the Jerusalem council. And what is remarkable is their reaction. Because in this text, it tells us that they are silenced. They don't respond in anger. 
They don't seem to criticize Peter for this radical message that he's bringing. It seems as though they listen to the message that he has. This act of listening becomes what will be a huge movement in the early Christian community of what it means to belong to the body of Christ. In, on June 2nd, we will start our Sizzlin' Summer Series, where we are studying Paul's letters. And we're going to start all the way in the beginning with Thess Thessalonians and work our way through all the way to Romans. And one thing that we will see over and over again is how hard it is when the faith practices, our rituals, our laws, those things that we hold on to, feel threatened. And over and over again, we will hear how the Holy Spirit breaks into our lives and shows us again about what it means to be the church. So today is a day when we as a congregation celebrate and honor the different stories of the young members of our church. We've listened to each of our Sunday school classes as they've shared what they've done this year. We've honored our graduates as they are closing one chapter and beginning a new one. And in just a moment, we will lift up our confirmands as they stand in their faith and declare that they are ready to belong to this faith community. But I wonder, what would it look like for us to listen to the stories of these children and youth in the same way as this Jerusalem Council? I mean, is our role today simply to bless and celebrate? Are we to pinch their cheeks and tell them that we hope they keep coming to Sunday school? Is now the opportunity to tell them of the glory days when church on Sunday morning was just something that you did? Indeed, today is a day of celebration, but that is not where our job ends. Our job is to listen to their stories and to recognize that Christ shows no distinction in who Christ calls as a disciple. Christ shows no separation of age, gender, location, or life experiences. Now, like the early Christians, it is possible that the testimony or stories that we hear or see in the lives of our young people might feel a little threatening to us. We might start to feel a little uncomfortable that that's not really how, how we know how to do church. I mean, don't we hear this all the time? So often we hear anxieties that we, we worry we're moving into a cultural shift where sports and extracurriculars have replaced the priority of Sunday morning worship. We're concerned that media and Hollywood provides more of an influence in our young people than Sunday school. We wonder if our young families have any value for tradition or religious practices. But these concerns, these worries, are drawing lines in the sand based on our experience and how we have come to understand what it means to be a community of faith. To view them through this lens leaves no room for listening, for hearing, or for seeing that they are a part of God's story 
and that they have been given gifts to share and to proclaim God's story with the world. Again, it's not our story about our church. If it was, we still might be refusing to eat with those who have not been circumcised. This is about God's story, who continues to break into our lives and show us what it means to be the church. A God who continues to come to us again and again and wipe away those lines drawn in the sand. In our text, John says, love one another as I have loved you. If Christ loves us, if Christ calls us, then how can we look at one another, no matter how old or how young or how much life experience one has had, and to hear and to see that the Spirit is moving in them and that God is calling them to be a disciple. Which is why I trust that the church is in good hands. Because this is a generation that transcends the depths of understanding of what it means to love, to welcome, and to serve. This is a generation that has language and vocabulary like privilege and power. A generation that, in light of Me Too, understand complicated gender equality. A generation that literally has the world in their hands. They have a question, they can Google it. If they want to talk to somebody who's living over out of state or it's oceans away, they can Skype or FaceTime. I learned what Grubhub was at a church lock-in when all of a sudden a delivery man showed up at the door and a youth member came running up behind me and said, well, we got hungry, Pastor Amy. I mean, the world is in their hands. So imagine the possibilities of what this generation can and will do in serving Christ. If they have learned to see beyond the limits and to see how God is there, how will they break through and wipe away these lines drawn in the sand, you with this kind of language, love, and understanding? And it's not a story that they'll tell in 25 years or 45 years as the future of the church. It's a story they are already telling now. Now, I started out by making a confession to all of you. But to be a confessing church really means that we have made the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Which is exactly what today is all about. A day when our young people stand and profess their faith, stating that they belong to something greater than themselves. That they believe and trust that they are being guided by the Holy Spirit. And indeed, this is the good news. Each of us has a story. Each of us has special gifts and experiences. And when our stories come together, we have the power, strength, and ability to change and save the world. And I have a hunch that we will marvel at the ways that God will use this generation that God calls the church. Thanks be to God. Amen.